Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 278. And a couple of little news pieces in here before I get on today's topic. And that is, and I put it out on some of the some of the social media, but I don't have social media everywhere because I'm just not capable of managing all of that and staying on top of it. But I am going to put out an updated version of Training the Pointing Labrador, the book, and what I asked for, because that's 20 years old now. And frankly, I've advanced, you know, learned a little bit more, gotten a little more uh, conscious of certain things. And so I really wanted to get one more out there that I think is, is something that I would like to leave for people. And what I did was ask people for any any ideas or suggestions that they had, you know, things that they would really like to see emphasized in there, what particular training thing uh, they would like to see. And so on the show notes here, I will put uh, an email if, if you uh, want to give a topic or, you know, something that you'd like to have a little more explanation or whatever, uh, any constructive, positive ideas. And frankly, I have gotten some excellent ones. I've gotten some people who took a little bit of time and explained what it is that, you know, and why they thought this was important and what they'd like to see. And I am very appreciative of that because I just live in my own head and I really need to have the best idea I can about, you know, what other people want and need and something that may seem real obvious to me uh, is not to other people, you know, because I have a whole different experience space. And so I welcome uh, some real, some ideas on things that you'd like to see. If you were going to read a book on something, um, you know, what, what would you like to, to really go in depth on? I had one great idea by one individual who said that they learn visually, not by reading, which is true, I think, more and more now with people. And the idea was to have a a link literally in the book where they could go to YouTube and actually see a video of that. So I've got to, that. I thought that probably was an excellent idea. So um, I've got to figure out and get with some people who would know how to, I'm not exactly sure how I would approach that with all that. So anyway, I am. I would appreciate any advice, any help, any ideas that you guys have or just something that you would like to see. So, and again, I'll have an email if you want to send something there uh, anonymously or otherwise. Just let me, give me your thoughts. I would really like to do that. The other thing that I'm going to start doing, because let's see, this is episode 278, right? I've covered a lot of stuff and recovered a lot of stuff. And because, you know, there's new people all the time, that's a good thing. But I'm going to, especially maybe right now through the, the, well, it's winter here. It's 16 degrees outside with six inches of snow. So we went from summer to winter. But during the winter time, when people are hunting or, you know, it's just too cold or too much snow to go outside or something, I wanted, I, I, what I was thinking about was, because I always get questions and I always get, you know, suggestions and stuff. I would like to have uh, at least a, a little bit some troubleshooting questions and so we have an episode on on looking at an issue a training problem a place where someone maybe stalls out or something kind of bad happens and what some of the you know what do you do about that so again on the email that's going to be in the show notes 
if and it can be completely anonymous you don't have to you know i'm not going to say john smith from arkansas asked I, you know unless you want me to um but i'd like to have a, a, a genuine trouble shooting a problem you have with a dog and you'd like at least an idea now i don't have all the answers and sometimes i don't have an answer at all but i will do my best if i were to encounter this problem in a dog how would i think about it and what would i do so that's anyway i would like to do that so please if you have have something that you'd like to know about you know i would i would be i think i'm going to do uh, some podcasts that are just dealing with training issues that I just don't think of uh, very much. And since most of my history has been in taking a dog from six weeks and then training it till it's done, you know, any problem I've ever had, I created. So that's a lot easier to deal with than getting a dog and I don't know what happened. And what, you know, that's a different approach. You don't approach every problem the same. You approach the dog the right way so that's you know I'm asking for that too if anybody has anything like that and that includes my clients too you guys can put stuff on there if you want it's interesting uh, to hear some of that so today's podcast kind of along these lines is going to be on pointing and that always seems to be one that that uh, is extremely popular and I want to talk about hmm, how do you advance from yeah I have a young dog that points to that finished thing uh, where it points and you're not having to do a lot of stuff. It just knows what to do and it holds a point. And also, as one person pointed out, it's not pointing six inches away. That's, that's most of the time a created issue, not a, oh, my dog just points close. Because, I you know, most of them would really want to point close because it's cool <laughs> to sit there and look at the treasure. So I'm going to talk somewhat briefly on that topic that's going to be uh, a, a large part of the book uh, on, on my next one I want to do that but so when you have a young dog now when dogs don't point and here's where I'm probably the weakest the the very weakest because in the hundreds of dogs that I've done and um, and by that I mean titled I've done I've trained more than I've titled by a long shot, but I, I've done, like, what is it, 90 grandmasters. I probably won't have it, be able to add to that since I'm not training other people's dogs anymore. But I've done a lot of these guys. My tendency has always been to get them on birds early, kick on that light bulb early, and I will tell you, that is, <laughs> I'll argue that with anyone, that is really a great way. Because when you get that little spark lit then, then you have it in there. When dogs have never seen a live bird until they're six months or a year or three years or whatever it is, you know, you don't, you get, they have a lot of other stuff in their head to contend with in addition to the pointing if it's there. Now, I know some good trainers who say I can bring it out to anybody. I think I know why they say that because, like, my wiener dog points rabbits. Now, she points a rabbit as long as it sits still. And the minute it moves, she's gone. So is she a pointing wiener dog? I don't know. I just think she's waiting for the, because she's a hound, so she wants to give chase. And I don't know that the predatory stance isn't something that's often in a lot of dogs. Um, and then, so you can just bring bringing that out. I'm not sure about that, because I've seen a lot of other breeds do real pointy things. Um, and then there's things you can do, you know, with the cord and all that. But my preference has always been to put them on birds and let that 
thing come out. Now, usually it does. In the majority of dogs, and maybe I get just more of the well-bred ones so it's all there. Because I love the ones you put them on their first bird and they lock up. It's like, oh, okay, this might be good. Um, and sometimes they don't point at all. And then at some time, a little bit down the road, because, I don't know, a pheasant's stuck in the snow or it's something's lined up in the stars, and they start pointing. But what I'm going to talk about here today is your dog has shown that it's a pointer. Maybe you even got it certified. Uh, so you've got a pointer, but, you know, you just got a pretty slow count, <laughs> or short count, I mean, and then the dog's going to go on it. So, you know, it's like, whoa him out there, start teaching him whoa. And I'm, you know, let's just never mind all the old school stuff. I just, let's go take it from the dog's perspective, okay? That's, that's, that's probably the most uh, effective way to get to where you want to get. So you have this young dog that has this automatic, this thing where it just stops and freezes at the location uh, of a bird. Now, when you stick birds hard, you put them down in a spot and they're not going to be able to get away and they're just stuck down there, and those are the birds that you're training with, then your dog, when it first starts pointing, it's going to point, and then it can get a little bit closer, right? Because nothing happens when they move and get closer. And they get a little closer. So you get those six inches very often when you've done a lot of planted birds. And, and I mean hard planted birds. You, some of, A lot of us, you know, all my birds are planted. I don't get to hunt wild birds uh, at all. So I have to have them planted. But I don't have them, um, once they start pointing, I don't have them where they can get right up on top of them. Because then people want to use woe and kind of stop that behavior. And I've seen a lot of trainers have a thing where they, they back them up with pressure. And you can always tell one of those guys in a competitive event because they go on point and then they, I've seen them back up three feet. So they went in, they go, oh, that's not too close. I've gotten in trouble. And then their conscious kicks, conscience kicks in and they back up. I, I'm going to say, no, let's have these dogs do what they're going to do naturally. We want them to go point a bird, not on top of it, right? And so... Bird planning is kind of a big deal here. As a matter of fact, it's a huge deal. So when they're little, you got to make sure they can find it. And until you get some, you can't just have it where every bird you planted out there ran away. The dog's going to wonder what you're doing out there. Or they're just going to start tracking them and then chasing them, which is not ultimately what we want them to do. So bird planning, once your dog has started pointing, becomes important. But you need to understand, I know what people are thinking. I've watched it so many times. So you, let's say you got a little, a little guy pointed, you know, and they, they start pointing real good. And if anybody was here when I had, was bringing G up from eight weeks to a year and a half or two years or whatever until she, she moved on. Well, till I moved her on because I no longer had a place to train. But she pointed right off, first off. And she would point and hold that point sometimes a minute and a half. You know, as a four-month-old, I mean, it was just cooler, and I had videos of it on Facebook. Um, this little dog just holding, you know, this is great. Well, and then I would do birds once a week, not five times a week, once a week. I would do birds, and then pretty soon as she was getting older, and the hormones are kicking in, and she's growing up, and we're doing a lot of marks and stuff, then it dropped down to 20 seconds, and then it dropped down to... 10 seconds and then it dropped down to three two one boom go 
And so, no, did I do woe? No, I did not at that point. Is she woe broken? Yes. Um, but that's, I'm not going to start woe. Now I'm going to, okay, once they start doing stuff, I'm going to tell them what not to do. Stop moving. Stop doing this and that. And for me, this is me now, I have found that that is not the most useful way to to use all of that. So when she started moving in on birds as a really good, and her mom and dad were our fantastic pointers, right? Both four-time and et cetera, et cetera, all the other titles. Um, And so I knew that that was her, what she was going to do. But she was on that, this is just too good. I just can't stand it anymore. Okay, I'm not going to punish her for feeling that way. This is important. I'm not going to punish her. So a couple things happened. One is as soon as I got to the point where she was uh, force fetched collar condition. So I had uh, a remote means of, of communicating with her. The first thing I did as soon as she was, and she was maybe seven months old, eight months old, something like that. Then I de-chased the dog, which is Go out in the field, plant them light, just set them down, man. So when she gets out there, whether she gets too close or for I don't care what reason, she points and then goes in and that bird flies, she is called to me. It is not a no bird situation. It is not a punishment for chasing the bird. And I've done many things on D-Chase. You have to do it correctly. And I'm told it's very difficult just reading about it to understand how to do it. But what you do is you kill that chase thought by just calling them to you with some pressure until they stop chasing. It is not a punishment. It is an enforcement of the here command. I'm not going to go into it on depth here. But the result of it within a, two sessions of de-chase, three at most, is when they, when they, whenever a bird flies up, even if it's a wild flush, they just stop. They just stop. That's all. And that becomes the automatic response to a bird in flight. Stop. And it wasn't the bird that brought any of the issue. It is, well, I called you when you were chasing it. You've got to come to me. And then they stopped chasing. But they don't, it, this, the bird did not bring on the bad stuff. Like when you're screaming, whoa, and correcting them with collar stuff out in the field. So once you de-chase these guys, now most of them, not all, but most of them are going to go point that bird Think about getting it and not go because they can't go. I can't chase it, so I'm not going to produce it. And we had one guy, oh, it was so fun in the local club here last spring. His dog had, had been a really good pointer. Got, her, got the dog from a very good breeder. It was a really good pointer. But it had gone to that three, two, one, go thing. And he'd even hunted with it that way. And he said he couldn't even get a shot at the bird because if it flew low, the dog was going to produce it. He couldn't even shoot it. So then his dog has to get his dog back from chasing after the bird. And he just, he was, didn't know what to do. So we de-chased the dog. It took two or three sessions because I I think this dog was 18 months old or, I mean, he, I don't know, he'd had a whole hunting season, right? So we had a pretty strong belief about chasing birds in this dog. Much easier when they don't have that. Um, But done age appropriate, not four or five months. Do not do that. I don't care what the dog is. So then we we do chase and then his dog goes out there and just holds point. And I was there the first couple times it happened. I'm out with him. We go out. We've de-chased, dog goes on point, 
And he actually is funny. I, I said, I should have filmed this. This would have been so good to show people. He turns around and goes, what do I do? <laughs> he didn't know what to do, and his dog held point. So, you know, now we want Steady to shot eventually. Um, so he had a little tab on the, you know, we just go up and make sure the dog stayed there and let the gunner produce it. And, and then we're teaching, right, not until I send you, do you go get it? Um, it, but it was funny. And he later got the dog certified. I mean, it was perfect. The dog just pointed because he lost all reason to go in and pursue it or bust it up because he wasn't going to get it. So on a dog that age, that was a phenomenally good response. Some dogs, that that's the vast majority. I would say statistically, that's probably 80 to 90 percent will, will do that. So now you have a dog that when it smells a bird, uh, does not uh, go after it, produce it. But what some dog, you got a couple things that happen right here that doesn't make this perfect for everybody. One, when they go in there and they point, and then they're very aggressive and they've been able to move in on this bird as little guys, right? Now they're, gonna, they're just going to take a few steps. And that's where I need wool. I need to stop them. And I'll, I'll be honest, I never do that. When they take a few steps, it's like, yeah, go right ahead. <laughs> take a few more. <laughs> I'm good with that. And I let them go in there till that bird comes up. And then I call them back to me. They're not chasing it because they're de-chased, right? Then I call them back to me often with a little bit of pressure on here, not on whoa or no bird or get over here, you blankety blank, none of that stuff. In other words, I let them go ahead and make a choice and then have the consequence from that. It also tells me right there, now is the time I need to teach woe, and I do not teach it in the field um, because I don't want finding birds and pointing birds to ever be associated with ugly, nasty corrections and punishment and bad stuff. So then in a whole, and I have woe podcasts, and I'm not going to go through woe now, a whole series, and what you're doing when you teach woe, in my mind, is basically this is not your bird. Once you go on point, it isn't your bird. This is going to be my bird, and your job after finding it will be to return it to me when it's shot not your bird. And so the whole woe thing is teaching a couple things. One, that's not your bird. And two, no matter how tempting something is, you don't move. So they just learn to develop pushback to temptation. They develop a pushback to it. And that's the first, you you know, you have them standing there and you move around and away from them and they want to come with you. So you there's a consequence for that. You teach them, no, you got to stay there. And then you can start throwing bumpers. Don't have them retrieve them. Do not reward any of this with a retrieve. We're just teaching them, not yours. When I throw the bumper after a woe, it's not yours. And I pick them up. I feel very strongly about that. Um, when you let them go get something that you've been throwing around as the reward, I'm air quoting that, reward, then that just means it's a tick, tick, tick till you do get this. And I like to have in their mind, there is no tick, tick, tick. <laughs> this is not yours. So I always pick up the stuff. Then you throw birds. Then you shoot guns and throw birds. If you're lucky enough to, you know, you can get, I don't care, even pigeons. But you get birds, put the dog on wool, bring them on a, birds on a couple strings around. Let them learn to look at, see that bird's walking around. Pretty soon when you get real good, the, the bird can walk right up to them. 
I used to go in the pheasant pen when the pheasants had the blinders on with the dogs that were pretty much mostly well broken. Take them in there, those pheasants that couldn't see them would walk right into them. Boom. <laughs> they get to flying, land on their shoulder, hit them in the head. But it's not your bird. So I don't care if it walks up to you, if you see it moving, if you see it flying, if you see it walking, if it's close to you, far to you, it's not your bird. That's what I'm teaching them. When you get that, and that's not a two-week thing, that takes a while because it's an evil, you're changing the thought patterns in their mind. Unless you like punishment, then go ahead and do it that way. But I like to just change what's in their mind. So when they see a bird, the automatic thought is, I want it, I want to get it. Okay, so, so now you've got something that they understand. That is not yours. No matter if it pops up and starts walking, if it starts flying, if it starts making a lot of noise, if everyone's running over there to start shooting it, it's not your bird. And when you go through that sequence um, with a very, no big loud yells, whoa, is, it, and a lot of people when they, it, when they overdo whoa, they get a dog that goes out there and sits if you're doing the other retriever training. And I know a lot of the pointer guys say never teach a pointer to sit because they'll sit. Well, <laughs> I could say every dog I've had anything to do with uh, up to the TC2s that I, I have helped to train right none of those guys sit down they don't <laughs> nobody's yelling at them and they're not sitting down because they were de-chased then they were woe broken in a way that meant that's not your bird they also point many feet or many yards off the bird because it was like, you want to get close? Go right ahead. Go right ahead. And they, they, they already know. And that's, that's a whole new part of the different way that I do things now is I don't, I don't even say whoa when I'm training. In the field, in competition, I just want to remind them, remember, <laughs> that's an expensive entry fee. Don't you move. But in training, you'll never, I ne you'll never hear me say whoa or any of the people in our training group. They don't say whoa. It's like, y y go ahead. <laughs> if you're gonna, if you want to do something you know is not okay, you're fine. Go ahead and do it, because, and they don't because they know there's a consequence that's not related to anything that they've had happen in the field. That's a difficult one to understand until you've seen it. But anyway, that way you have a dog who points with the, whatever their natural style was. You haven't turned them into a four-legged stance that turns around looking at you wagging his tail going hurry it's over here I got it you know whatever style of point they have they still have you haven't ruined that you have not ruined any of their confidence and boldness in looking for the birds they do it with with speed and with heart and with intensity and they do it at first convincing scent not wait till I get up and kind of do an eyeball check good okay there we are because you never allowed that situation to set itself up by having birds stuck real hard, by trying to woe in the field to stop them from doing something. Again, I never stop them from doing anything other than chasing a bird. Only thing, only thing I do in a the field. There is no chasing. Because bird chasing, for one, is a failure at the master level, and two, is the unsafest thing in the world. No hunter should have a dog chaser. And so I don't know why every hunting upland dog in the world is not de-chased. Um, that I just I'll never get that but that way they that's the only trouble they get into so when you're that way then you keep the style and the conviction 
you know, and they are just totally into this and they're not afraid of anything because you taught them elsewhere, one, how to push back whenever, man, that bird has just got up and started walking. They're not going to go get it. They've already seen birds walking. They know that's not their bird. They've seen birds flying. They know that's not their bird, only if it's dropped and they're sent. So, but you got to put that together in the right order and understand what you're doing inside that dog's head, okay? So there's a lot of pieces. Now that whole process I'm just talking about, it starts, you know, bird, early birds. I'm just saying early birds is the, one of the very best things you can do. Kick that light bulb on when they are young. If you get a pointing lab, you've kind of obligated yourself to finding at least some available birds and working, working with the little guys. Not that you can't sometimes do it later, but it sure is easier when it's already there. And then, but you got to be doing all the other training along. I know people that say I do pointing training and then separately I do at another time at another part in their lives, they, I, I do retriever training. I, I have found that I do them together. So it's, we're going to keep developing this understanding of upland birds. And we're going to also stay in your head on. We're a team and there's some things where I... You know, I force fetch you, I call or condition you. When I call you, you've got to come, you've got to retrieve, go straight out, go straight back. Keep that going in their mind. Makes the upland stuff you're going to do just dovetail in. And when once you do have them de-chased and once you have taught them not your bird, and you got it. It's all there together and they're handling now and doing all kinds of cool stuff. Which is why, you know, the youngest four-time Grandmaster ever was trained exactly the way that I'm I'm talking about not that anyone should shoot for that that just is how it worked out because she was so amenable to training again from a very good breeder very good dogs uh, followed a program never got afraid of stuff out there you know just really believed in what she was doing and got all the way to that um, so because she understood everything and there was no big fearful thing there was no yelling there was no punishment there was just teaching changing a little bit of the thinking and moving forward. So that's that's the key to that. And I, this may be too much to really understand in one deal. So if people have problems, I'm happy to deal with the kind of the one-on-one, -on -one, but that's my approach. I'm never out in the field yelling, backing them off, doing any of that kind of stuff because it's their job to go do that. And you know when you're hunting, never mind expensive entry fees, when you're hunting, the dog's going to do what it's going to do. And so what you want to do is teach it what its job is, independent of your instruction. It should do its job whether you are close or far, and it shouldn't go creep up on a bird because you're not there telling it not to. It should not chase anything. And when it has located a convincing scent of a bird, it's done. It's done. Now, later on, a lot of, you know, I know all you grand people in HRC, you have to teach them to go get it. Okay, I'm not even going to go there, <laughs> I guess. I, I could never get one. I end up have a hard time getting a dog. I taught, don't get it, go get it. They'd be looking at me going, no, <laughs> not budget. I don't, that's not my bird. So I can't address that particular problem. So don't ask me a HRC flush a bird <laughs> when you're a grandmaster, but... Other than that, it, it's the development is far more peaceable than I was taught early on, where there's a lot of 
correction and a lot of punishment and stuff like that. I found that actually just re reprogramming how they think about this and turning the responsibility over to them, not me telling them. I mean, you should be able to go through the upland field and never have to speak other than sending them on a retreat. You shouldn't have to. It is possible to train a, uh, one of these guys to do the right thing on their own. But you have to start out getting in their head and teaching them what the expectations are and making them develop the ability to resist. Ooh, it's walking around. You know, it, no, if it's running down the road, I can't chase it. I could maybe go on the other side and, and corner it in here, but going after it, I am not a, I am not a dachshund. <laughs> so I don't go run it down. Unless it's wounded, then you do. And they know the difference. So anyway... That's today's, just a half hour, good. I'm getting these things back shorter again so I don't put everybody to sleep. But let me know if anybody has a training problem they'd like to at least hear some ideas about. Uh, and I'll do more on the pointing stuff because there's so much into what I've just said right here. So many, you know, what's the timing? Is the dog de-chased or not? You know, when do I start that? Is the dog ready? Uh, you know, there's a lot of questions to that. But this is a... A, kind of a nice way to get to a finished pointing lab without, you know, using tons of electricity and and uh, lots of yelling and screaming and frustration and long ropes and all that stuff. So that's today's. Uh, it's it's uh, very cold outside in a lot of parts of the country. Uh, so we're I don't know. It's going to be another crazy winter. But I hope everybody's being safe, having good hunting, and uh, I will be back next week.